Grab your Bibles, open up to our text this morning, Psalm chapter 73, and we will be reading verses 1 through 28, the entire chapter. When you get there, look at somebody in your home and say, Jesus. All right. Follow along with us and have your eyes on Scripture. Psalm 73, verse 1. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, It seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, When I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Westside. It is good to see you um, again, and thank you again for allowing us to come into your home. Um, I want to say this every week until we get together. Um, this is just not the same, and I think it's okay to admit that, and I think it's okay to long for gathering back together which leads us directly into the book of the Bible that we're currently studying in this season. 
Um, if you missed last week's sermon, you can go onto our website and check that out. It's going to be pretty important for you to catch up uh, with the introductory of the book of Psalms. But particularly, we're in book three of the Psalms and the way that that's divided out. And basically what we learned um, last week is this. Um, the Psalms teach us many, many things. But for the season of life that we're in, that, that the Psalms sort of reinforce and reassure us this. That it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. So when it comes to um, emotions and questions and many things that we are experiencing in this season, the book of Psalms helps us express all of that. And which leads me to Psalm 73 in this week. Um, and, and I just want to, as a way of introduction, ask this question. Do you have a problem? Not like the, the Robert De Niro, like you've got a problem, with, like not like that, but do you currently have a problem? Um, and maybe a definitional help. The Oxford English Dictionary defines a problem like this, a thing that is difficult to deal with or to understand. So do you have a thing that's difficult to deal with right now in your life? Or is there a relationship or a scenario that's hard to understand? Now, Psalm 73 speaks directly to this issue. We see Asaph, we learned about him a little bit last week, that he was a choir director for David and for the people of God, that he led them in the temple worship. And Psalm 73, Asaph has a problem that he's trying to deal with. Charles Spurgeon said that Psalm 73 is a soul battling itself. That's a great line. So, so right now, amidst everything that's going on in the world, maybe, maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you're experiencing suffering. Maybe there's a relationship that's on the rocks. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your kids. Listen, there is something that all of us um, are, are dealing with or have to deal with. And, and as a matter of fact, this, this is our big idea today that I see sort of from Psalm 73 to guide us, the thesis statement. You have to process your problem or your problem will process you. Now, now I'm preaching to myself here. Um, there's times in my life where I think everything is a problem and I want to avoid and I want to escape. And listen to me. Every time I've done that, every time I've done that, that problem or that situation or that relationship has processed me, if you will. So we see from Psalm 73 that you have to process the problem or the problem will process you. But here's the question that we're all asking. How do I process it? I mean, we are very... Um, not good when it comes to processing our emotions and our feelings. We sort of either um, blow up or we cover up or we pass it off. Um, and what we see in Psalm 73, I believe this is going to be a very practical message for us, is we see Asaph's process from sort of a 30,000 foot view. And so I want to give you six principles to help you process the problem. And the first one is this, um, be honest, be honest. Look at verse one and two. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. This is a theological statement. 
We see this earlier in the book of Psalms. This would have been something that Asaph had learned in Kidside and studied when he was a kid. That God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. That is a theological doctrine that Asaph is repeating to himself. And then this, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. I love it. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But me right now, I'd almost stumbled and slipped. What Asaph is, is doing is he's being honest that I know this, that theological statement to be true in my mind. But what is going on in my life, I don't feel that way. And listen, it breaks my heart that the church of Jesus Christ has become a place and an environment and a group of relationships that you can't be honest in. It's, it's almost the stigma of if I'm honest, then people will think I'm struggling. If I'm honest about my marriage or my kids or what's going on or even how I feel towards God, then people will look at me differently. And the first step is to be honest and to go, you know, I know those things to be true, but as for me right now, I don't, I don't feel that way. And, and this is something very important. When we're honest, that's where God meets us. Because a lie isn't reality. That's, that's not reality. So, so, so it's not just this idea of don't lie as one of God's top ten in the Ten Commandments. Um, God, so let's think about it this way. In the Gospels, when Jesus encounters someone who's sick or a leper or the man with the withered hand, let's think about that. Jesus asks the man with the withered hand to extend and reach out his hand so he can touch it and heal it. What does that mean? That means that there's a level of having to expose ourself in order to experience the healing. So, so, so listen, let me say it this way. You have to expose the hurt in order for God to engage that. That's what God desires. He wants that in our lives. So God only meets us in reality. The first step is, is to be honest. The second one is this. Um, you need to get specific. It's not just be honest, but it's get uh, specific. Look at what he says. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Verse four, for they have no pangs until death and their bodies are fat and sleek. How funny is that? He's like, I'm mad that they're fat. And we're like, I'm mad that I, anyway, right? Okay, listen, here's what he's saying. He tells us right there, for I was envious of the arrogant. That's it. It's not just be honest, but we need to narrow down what that is. And what Asaph is asking is a very profound theological question. I'm envious of the wicked because I see them prospering. And I'm one who loves God and I am suffering right now. Maybe you felt that way. I mean, I mean that is a, a big question to grapple with. But what Asaph does in this psalm is, is show us that it's not enough to just be honest generally. That we have to be honest specifically. Why is that so important? 
Well, it's so important because if we need specific healing, then we have to be honest specifically. And so if you went to a doctor, they're going to run a number of tests and general tests in order to find the cause or the specific reason for healing. Maybe this will help. Um, there is a psychologist by the name of Brianna Brown. And Brianna Brown has done a lot of work on guilt and shame. And one of the things that she discusses and, and talks about is she says... Uh, the color and the word for the color blue is actually really new. Now, now follow me. In ancient cultures, we don't have a history of a word for the color blue until very recently. And then Brene Brown asks this question. If there was no word for the color blue, then did anyone really see it? And she goes on to say this. When we name something, we see it. That's why oftentimes when um, someone is going to counseling for, for trauma or abuse in their life, that, that you have to narrow down on something like that. So, so listen, when we name it, we frame it. So it's not enough to go, well, it's just my marriage or it's just my work relationships, or it's just this in my life, or it's just, we have to narrow down and be specific on that for the proper healing. So how do we process the problem? We're honest, we get specific, and then this, we self-examine. We self-examine. Look at what he says in verse 13. All in vain have I kept my heart clean, washed my hands in innocence, for all the day long, I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. Verse 15, if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. What's Asaph doing? After he's honest and specific, he starts to self-examine. Why am I feeling this way? And then I looked back on that scenario, Asaph says, and during that season in my life, if I would have stood up in the assembly and said this, I would have led other people astray. And oh man, this is so important. I mean, we can draw a direct application from that to our lives. It's this, it's not just your problem. Your problem affects other people. I mean, that's right there in the text. That we cannot be so self-absorbed to just think, I'm going to deal with this. No, that, that we are relational beings and there's no way for what's going on in your life and that problem that you need to process is actually processing you and your relationships that are around you. But you only know this if you step back and self-examine. You see, we have a lot of distractions that keep us from doing something like this because many of us are afraid to do this. But, it, but, but it's almost like the check engine light on your car. When, when behavior starts to happen, behavior is just the fruit. There's, there's a root and so behavior, anger, aggression, anxiety, the tightness in the gut, the spinning mind, the racing heart, if you will, those are like check engine lights because there's something else going on deep down inside. And please listen to me. 
If you do not self-examine, you will self-destruct. If you do not self-examine, you will self-destruct. Now, this is where addictive behavior comes in. This is where um, alcohol and drugs come in to numb pain or to be a workaholic and to be distracted and to do this. We do many things in order to not self-examine because we are afraid of that. But we have to do this in order to process the problem. We have to be honest. We have to get specific. We have to self-examine. And then this, this is crucial. You have to adjust your perspective. Now, see, we don't just end on self-examine. Listen, we are believers of Jesus Christ. We are not self-help gurus. It is not just turn into yourself and find that little spark deep inside and that divineness that's in there. And then everything, listen, that is trash. That is garbage, okay? We have to look inside, yes, but we don't live there. We don't live there. We have to adjust our perspective. And look at how Asaph does that right there in verse 16. But, there it is, but I've sworn this and I'm always going to say it every time. I'm going to do a sermon series called The Great Butts of the Bible. I'm just going to do it someday. All right, here it is, verse 16. But when I thought how to understand this, okay? So I was honest, I was specific. I started to self-examine. How am I going to understand this? It seemed to me a wearisome task. I can't do this. I can't do this. Answer, you're right. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then, then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. Do you understand what Asaph just did? Asaph said, I had to adjust my perspective. And the way that I did that, and listen, here's the sentence, everything, everything gets put into perspective in the presence of God. Everything gets put into perspective in the presence of God. To be under God's word, to be gathered with God's people, that gives us a right perspective. So no, I didn't just turn into myself and try to do all of that. I had to get in the presence of of God. Now listen, I have to do a little bit of work here. Because oftentimes when we experience problems, we react. So if it's your marriage, if it's your kids, if it's a crisis, the first thing is I need to call um, my pastor or pastors and help have somebody else solve this for me. And listen, in reality, the access that we have to God through the person of Jesus Christ, through prayer, through the power of his spirit and God's word. Like, just think of some of these questions. Um, number one, have, have I processed this in prayer? Have I prayed about this? Number two, have I studied God's word as to see what God has already said? What has God already said about this? Maybe that happened to Asaph when he understood what it was to walk through that divine liturgy there and to hear God's word in the temple. He thought, yes, God's already spoken to this. God's already spoken to this. Have I prayed about this? Have I seen what God's word already says about this? Have I processed this with godly people? Godly people. Let me say that again. Godly people. Not people that will agree and affirm you all the time. But have I processed this with godly people? 
And you see, what this starts to do is it starts to widen your perspective. And then what does Asaph do? He looks at it from an eternal lens. Look at what he goes on to say there in verse 19. How they are destroyed in a moment and swept away utterly by terrors. Here it is, verse 20. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself. What's Asaph saying? I got to get an eternal perspective on this. Listen to me. When it comes to your problem or situation in your life, please listen. Do not sacrifice the future on the altar of the immediate. Do not sacrifice your future on the altar of the immediate. You've got to adjust your perspective. And that only happens through the presence of God's word. Wisdom comes from the word of God. And we're seeing that now. And by the way, can I just do a little plug here just unashamedly? That a level and degree of what's taking place right now, virtually being in your home and where you're watching this, is not enough. I'm very thankful for technology in this season. But Westside, may we never forget the gift that it is to gather with God's people around God's sacraments, hearing God's word and singing praises to him. That is where we adjust our perspective. So we got to process the problem or the problem will process us. We have to be honest. We have to get specific. We're self-examining. We're adjusting our perspective. And then this one, this one's super fun. You ready? Number five, um, confess your sins. Confess your sins. That's always what happens in the scriptures. Anytime somebody enters into the presence of God, their perspective has been adjusted and they realize how small they are. Like we say this all the time, nobody goes to the Grand Canyon or the ocean or the Rocky Mountains and stands in front of it. And he goes, you know what? I'm pretty awesome. You know what? I do deserve an extra cupcake. Nobody says that. Why? Because in those moments, we feel small. That's what happens to the thousandth degree in the presence of God. And then Asaph says this, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in my heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Listen, here's something we have to understand. Before we ever sin against others, we always sin against God first. Listen, our horizontal relationships are dependent upon the level of health with our vertical relationship with God. What's the great commandment? That you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And listen, for some of us to confess our sins, to look at our spouse or look at our children and say, as I've been processing this, I have, through the process of prayer and seeking godly counsel, have seen where my sins have affected this relationship. And then listen, here's how you apologize. You ready? Let's go to apology school. This will be awesome. This is how you apologize. I'm sorry. This is what I did. Please forgive me. That's it. It's not, um, I'm sorry that that hurt your feelings. Okay, that's horrible apology. Okay, I'm sorry that you feel that way. Okay, what, what, that's all deflecting stuff. Okay, because listen, we understand this, that healing comes through confession. 
there's this releasing, that there's this, this disarming when it comes to that. We got to process this problem or the problem is going to process us. And then the last thing that I see is this, number six, reaffirm what you know to be true. You've got to have an anchor in this. So we understand that we have to be honest, that we have to get specific, that we're self-examining, that we're adjusting our perspective. And when that happens, that we're confessing our sins. But listen, we got to get back to what we know. We need a rock and an anchor amidst the storms of everything. And what does Asaph says that he knows? It's three simple things. That God is good. That God is good. In verse 28, he says, but for me, it is good to be near to God. Why? Because God is good. The second reason is this, that God is present and active in our lives. Look at what he says there in verse, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me into glory. You know what Asaph's saying? That yes, the future, you hold that. But what Asaph is saying is that God, you're, with, you're present in the problem. How many of us think that, oh, once I process the problem, then I'll be able to fully experience the presence of God? No, no, no. God is not only good, but God is present and active amidst the problem. Now. That's what happens when we adjust our perspective. And then the last thing is this. This is so beautiful. That God is good. That God is present and active and at work in my life, even amidst the problem. And then the last one is this. Nothing can take these truths away. Even death. Even death. Why? Look at what Asaph says. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Listen, there's no other better news than that. There's no other better news that God is good and that he's at work and active and present in my life. And nothing can take these promises away, even death. How do we know that to be true? The cross of Jesus Christ. That there we see our sins on full display. But even more powerful than that, we see the very love of God. And that Jesus Christ rose on the third day, defeating sin, death, hell, and judgment in our place for our sins and lives for eternity. That nothing can separate us from that. So listen, we have to process a problem or the problem's going to process us. And then look at the last words that Asaph says. I have made the Lord my God my refuge. Why? Why, Asaph? That I may tell of your works. You see, God does these things in our life. So then in turn, while we live in community, we can process problems with other people. And so what if God is processing and going through these things in your life with you right now because he has a plan for somebody else that you're even unaware of? You see, listen, these aren't things to hide. These are truths to live. These are not obstacles. These are opportunities for the kingdom of God to break through in our lives. There are six principles here for us to process this. And I pray that through the power of God's word and through the empowerment of his spirit, that we would do that so we may tell of his wonderful works. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you. 
God, may we just be honest. We see that you want us to do that, that that is in your word, that you want us to be honest with you, even how we feel towards you. And may we get specific in that so we can have that specific healing as well. God, may we also look internally of what's going on in our heart and in our mind. May we not just focus on behavior, but may we focus on the belief. God, and when we come to you in prayer, it adjusts our perspective when we come to your word. May our minds be changed of what we see, what's going on in light of eternity. And God, we know that when we are quick to confess our sins, that you are quick to offer that forgiveness. And may we never forget what we know to be true, that you are good, that you are at work in our lives, Jesus, right now, even amidst all of this, even amidst job losses, even amidst suffering, that you are at work in the problem now and that nothing can take this away from us. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in the resurrected and in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.